This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. This past school year, a course was taught across three quarters in the school's Department of Design Media Arts. It's called Introduction to Ecological Art and Justice. Past episodes of this podcast covered the fall and winter courses. It wraps up this spring with Professor and Department Chair Rebecca Mendez and students exploring how design can inspire people to change their behavior in the face of climate emergency. We read a lot of different articles, essays, uh, books, and everything around, you know, the Anthropocene and, you know, living in a damaged planet. And so the, the level of confrontation with the realities of the planet, what art does is that it really gives them the platform to not only, rather than feeling the depression that one feels when one is paralyzed and doesn't know what to do, instead it empowers them to be able to have a voice, to be able to know how to think about it, to be able to collaborate with others, to to just say, okay, I am going to do something about this. So I tell the students, it's like some of them say, it's like, okay, Rebecca, after reading all of these in my first two weeks, I'm utterly depressed. And I said, good, you need to feel it. You need to know. I mean, we have cried in our class. I have for the research they have done that it really touches me still. They have shared. What is interesting is that they have opened up about their pain and about their fear and dread of what is ahead. So we have created a safe space to speak about this. And at the same time, I say, okay, we have felt it. What do we do with this now? Let's actually now turn this into something creative. We have that ability to transform this heaviness, this anvil that we feel in our hearts into wings to be able to do something incredibly, you know, creative and powerful and meaningful. The class included students in design media arts and environmental science. Through a mixture of research and practice, as well as art and science, the students created projects that address climate change and ecological inequality. The Ecological Art and Justice class was inspired by the Brand Laboratory, which Mendez created soon after arriving at UCLA nearly 20 years ago. Which was the idea of being able to teach about, you know, public identities, uh, doing an interdisciplinary team that would teach research in one quarter, and then I would teach practice on the next quarter. And it really was such an amazing success to know that students would be able to then have 20 weeks, 22 weeks to really go into depth on design and research. In my 35-year career as an artist, designer, as an educator, I've always focused on issues of, you know, social activism in many ways, social research and social practice. And so as my art practice began moving towards the environment, then I began teaching and practicing environment and art. That's what I was calling it. About four years ago or so, I or five, I started writing grants to be able to create a coalition of all the UC system uh, professors that were interested in ecological art. So we would create a coalition of all of us and begin to try to think about when the world is confronted with truly the end of its habitat, right? And that we are destroying completely our habitat. I don't see why we continue to teach design and art based on either Bauhaus practices, aesthetic practices, all kinds of other things. But for me, it was critical to start thinking, how do we teach the young students to begin to address the environment? 
So that coalition was fantastic. I mean, I did not get the grant, but at the same time, I was able to create a wonderful group of professors and interested lecturers that were all around ecological arts and justice. Mendez founded and runs Counterforce Lab. It's an interdisciplinary research studio that uses art and design to get people to think about and act on the global ecological crisis and environmental injustices. For example, they're in the process of creating what they're calling a biophilia treehouse, a wooden structure covered with native plants that can give shelter to lots of different species of birds. Because it has different levels, humans can get close to it without scaring off the birds. Birds are indicator species that can offer an overall sense of an ecosystem's health. It's a design project that also offers a solution, a bird sanctuary, and for humans, much needed urban green space in which to commune with nature. Mendez's own practice includes graphic design, video installation, photography, and more, and she encourages her students to explore different mediums to find the right way to express their research through design. Fundamentally, she says, it comes back to understanding what you want to communicate. I think that one of the key things that has been at the core of you know, my teaching is that as the students begin to develop a very rigorous and strong practice of investigation, right? You know, really understand your subject matter, immerse yourself in your research so that the research speaks to you and then you are able to formulate the kind of questions that are relevant given the subject matter. Many times a client will be asking the wrong question, right? When they come to you, they tell you, I need this, this, and that. And when the reality is that once you research who they are and who they're, they're, what environment they're practicing in, then you realize that's not the question to ask. So I think that, you know, for me, the most important thing that the students can learn from these courses is to formulate the questions themselves of what is relevant to ask when you give them a certain, you know, area to investigate. Mendez also encourages students to do their own field research for the class. One group is documenting the grunion run when small silverfish called grunions come onto the beach at night during the spring and summer months to lay eggs in the sand. Another student is studying snowy plover conservation at Santa Monica Beach. Philip Otto is working on a project about the Los Angeles River as it traces its way to the Pacific. The nine-channel video installation is called The River Will Be What It Wants To Be. I've been really enjoying spending time at the LA River. Um, I live fairly close to the river in Echo Park. And so I've been visiting different sections of the 51 mile river and really thinking about how the river connects us and what it means to the city. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about watersheds and how unlike other geopolitical boundaries that are um, very much you know shaped by politics um, watersheds are kind of isolated from that and they are this natural geographic um, boundary of where snowmelt forms where rainfall um, collects and ultimately um, flows down towards the sea um, and in los angeles the los angeles river um, is kind of the backbone of the LA watershed, which is a 834 square mile um, region. 
And so this last weekend, um, I was down in Long Beach um, looking at the section of the river um, that extends from the dual ports of Los Angeles and uh, Long Beach, um, really just exploring that section of the river and um, taking videos and kind of just trying to um, spend some time there and kind of get a sense of like, what does the river have to tell me? And like, what does the river want me to convey about it? I'm working on an installation. The primary feature is going to be, it's a nine channel um, video, um, but in a singular projection. And so the idea is to use this um, grid of videos as kind of a way to um, show the river as this multifaceted, really living being that it is. Um, so despite our attempts at kind of colonizing it and channeling it and really diminishing it in so many ways, um, it is still very much alive. And this project aims to kind of simultaneously recognize the troubled past, um, but also really as, as a sign of, of rebirth and all of the potential that the river holds um, to really provide for us. The other thing I've been thinking about is, um, so my, my father passed away on March 31st, um, so just at the beginning of this quarter, and, um, and the day he passed, I, I walked to the river and just kind of like standing on one of the bridges and um, I was just really trying to like, be with the river and like think of it as this kind of like healing kind of modality um and as as i just as i started to really try to like feel my feelings i was like crying and my tears were you know falling and making their way into the into the river and i was thinking about how you know like he is going to be cremated and is going to be returned to the ocean and kind of thinking about this Rachel Carson quote about how through all of time, like we are all um, returning to the ocean um, and really thinking about how like, you know, a part of me, like my tears are flowing into the river and they are traversing this you know, 50 mile stretch through this, all of these different communities and pathways and eventually ending up in the Pacific and, um, you know, rejoining my father. In April, Mendez brought students on a marine mammal field expedition led by marine biologist Holly Loheis. They sailed off the coast of Ventura for several hours to look for whales and other sea creatures. The class also went to the Hammer Museum to see oceanographer and explorer Sylvia Earle discuss her marine expeditions and how to reverse planetary decline. Alexia Magdaleno is doing her project about kelp as a sustainable material. So my research is focusing on textiles waste and specifically on microplastics in the ocean and how when we every time we even like wash our clothing, like hundreds of thousands of microplastics get released into the ocean. And just the amount of plastic fibers that are used 
in a lot of like fast fashion clothing items. So like anything ranging from like polyester to like, like spandex, like all of these clothing items are using like plastic fibers that are adding up all these tiny microplastics in the ocean and then going into our food that we're consuming and the water that we're drinking and causing like even like cancerous things. Um, so what I'm really researching into is like, how are we using kelp to combat that and how can it be used in the future? Kind of looking up for more hope in the future in terms of fashion, because like everyone loves clothing and expressing themselves, but we need to really find a solution. So kelp has been, um, as I've been researching, it's really harvestable and really healthy for the environment. It's something that's gonna biodegrade very easily and break down, but also serve as a strong material. And I found some companies are in the development of clothing that is made out of kelp. Mm. And they're really pushing this idea of like the future of fashion, the future of textiles. So what I'm creating is an installation. Uh, I think when they walk in, it'll be like this room where they walk in and as these videos are playing, like they'll hear the sound of the washing machine and watching it spin in this dark room and reflecting on that, like wondering, oh, why is there a washing machine? And then they're gonna hear the sound of like the waves hitting the shore, like a very similar sound, but they're gonna see the ocean. And then they're gonna hear like the ambient no noises of like within the ocean and see the kelp forest. And at the same time, they'll also hear like these like textiles being broken apart but it'll really just be like an immersive experience that'll use like all the senses to make people think about this concept. Jane Ann Wang is making an illustrated storybook for children that honors Kuruvungna Springs, a sacred spring located near UCLA's campus that was used as a source of natural fresh water by the Tongva people. The book is told from the perspective of the village's last remaining spring. I am focusing on California indigenous stories and um, environmental practices, specifically those of the Tongva people. Yeah, the way I'm framing this storybook right now is first I will be um, talking about the um, origin story of the Tongva, um, or one of them, they have a lot of origin stories. Um, then I'll be centering this project around three Tongva villages. Um, one is Kurovungna. Um, there's actually um, Kurovungna Springs pretty close to um, UCLA, and I will be visiting there and um, talking to Bob Ramirez, um, who is the president of the Springs Foundation. Um, I will also be centering it around um, the village of Yangna, um, which is um, this former um, Tongva village in what is now downtown LA. They were raised to the ground in the 18th century. And um, yeah, it was a very sad story, but I want to kind of talk about how these people used to live harmoniously with the LA River. Um, their story about how they were dispossessed of um, their lands and um, yeah, what happened to the LA River. And then um, also afterwards, um, how they are currently um, working to preserve the LA River and kind of help restore it to the place it once was. And then finally, the third village is in what is now called the Bologna Wetlands. Um, 
and yeah, it's a very similar story. They were just possessed of their lands, and it kind of became um, just very constructed, very developed, and like for like oil drilling and just militarization and commercialization. So, um, kind of investigating that history. Um, talking about the story of their dispossession and as well as how they lived harmoniously with the land prior and um, how the Tongva continued to be um, just advocating for its restoration and preservation. Um, but yeah, I want to um, kind of talk about these um, three villages and like past, present, future, um, kind of highlight um, yeah, how these places have evolved and just the importance of water and the land to these people and also just highlight uh, their current activism and show people that these people are still here. And one really core part of this project is talking to um, the people who are part of the Gabrielino Tongva tribe. I've um, kind of reached out to several contacts. Um, I'm planning to talk to one of them this week and um, I would really like them to be part of this um, storybook uh, making process and make sure that this is a work that resonates with them and it's not um, it's not really my story. It's kind of me um, just really appreciating these um, people's worldviews, um, their environmental practices and really trying to just help um, make them heard. So the final result then will be like a storybook that you're going to write and maybe illustrate and bind and like it'll be something that like it'll be a physical object right at the by the end of this quarter. Yeah, that's the plan. Um, I am kind of um, trying to leave some room for um, some changes and what the final product is going to be. Um, I do want to make sure that um, whatever product I create um, does sit well with and is embraced by the Tongva people that I talk to. Um, but yeah, I think the current plan for now is to create a physical book with these stories as informed by my research, um, kind of me doing my own field work, visiting these places, and also um, talking to um, the Tongva people about their stories. Another group of students is differentiating between publicly owned and privately owned beaches and how environmental crises have affected them differently. The group includes Lauren Kramer, Ella Rose Bandaveras, and Maya Liu. So we're basically looking at the Pacific Palisades and Malibu as case studies to kind of look at how um, these like wealthy uh, suburban beach towns kind of impact the way that uh, these beaches are uh, preserved as like ecological sites and how that also contrasts with more public beaches, namely like Venice or Santa Monica, and how, uh, yeah, the contrast in sort of preservation of the ecology of these landscapes and also looking at um, kind of how, how these suburban landscapes are kind of conducive to a very like voyeuristic perspective of nature, um, the sort of separation between people who live in these areas and how they interact with the landscape. And the final product is going to be a zine, um, and it's going to just be a compilation of annotated um, articles and 
uh, a lot of imagery that references all of these ideas and field work and photographs that we collect, essentially telling that story and investigating what it means to be a part of a white affluent beach community and also examining what it means to have those spaces be inaccessible. A oil spill that happened in Santa Barbara in 1969 actually informed a lot of the modern environmental movement. So, I mean, Santa Barbara is this like very wealthy, pristine, beautiful beach town. Like the imagery of Santa Barbara and tainted with like an oil spill was really what pushed like lawmakers to start enacting policies that, you know, are still seen today. And that just is a parallel to, you know, these affluent communities like Malibu and the Pacific Palisades that still see that kind of privilege of, you know, lawmakers paying attention to those communities over, for example, an oil spill or a chemical pollution happening in like downtown LA. Lauren Kramer says the class has helped her understand the impact she can have as a designer. I think something that Rebecca said at the beginning of the class is, as designers, we have this very special skill of being able to like realize the future and, and speculate about, you know, what the future could look like. Um, and so I think, you know, when you think of design, it can often be minimized to just, you know, like interior design or, or graphic design. But in reality, I think there can be a lot of impact in our work and um, giving us the opportunity to put that into practice is really valuable. And I think is just affirming of like, our skill set and, and like what we're doing here in DMA, honestly, yeah. Rebecca Mendez says that's a key lesson she hopes her students take with her, that they can make a difference through the art and design work that they make. As designers, right, as artists, we have the ability to tackle complexity and approach the uh, climate emergency, ecological crisis from many, many different perspectives towards something that it is like you know maybe ideas envisioning new worldviews that are reparative restorative and responsible right so the idea that how is it that we can design to become better ancestors i always have felt that we have kind of as designers a a type of superpower that it is the idea that through um inspiring and presenting information and creating these kind of projects that are restorative, we can change behavior. And that is what one needs, like starting to change minds is at the core at the very beginning so that one can start affecting behavior. And, and again, I think that through art and design, we can do that. You've been listening to Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. Thanks for listening and take care.